Welcome to the Choose You Netcast. This is Jim Langlois with the word from Joshua 24, 15. Choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's my prayer that this netcast will encourage and cheer you on as we join forces to draw the line in the sand, defending our faith and our households in the resurrection power of Jesus. Join me each weekday as we dig deeply into God's amazing word and bring up the rich treasures of his blessings. Are you ready? Choose you this day. Whom you will serve. But that's for me and my house, me and my house, me and my house. I said, choose you this day, whom you will serve. But that's for me and my house, me and my house, me and my house. Good morning, NetWorld, and thank you for tuning in. We're continuing in our series titled The Family Bible Revolution, an end-time message for his generational blessing. And we left off yesterday in our discussion about a family who prays together. And you can figure out the rest of that sentence. We'll know for sure by the time I finish this series. But we were talking about the longest prayer in the New Testament prayed by Christ himself. It's in John chapter 17. We read verses 1 through 5 where he prays for himself. We are in the middle of where he's praying for his disciples from verses 6 all the way to 19. And then soon we'll read verses 20 through 26 where he prays for all believers. But let's go back to the beginning where he starts praying for his disciples. He's speaking to God about his disciples. He's praying for them. He says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, they have known that all things which you have given me are from you, for I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. And continuing in verse 12, he says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. What a wonderful prayer for his disciples. And then he begins to pray for all of us, all the believers. In verse 20, listen to this. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us 
that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Wow. Now we're discussing how a family that prays together, well, you know the rest of the sentence, but we're studying how Christ prayed. Remember, the disciple asked Jesus to teach them to pray. Well, what we're looking for is, did we hear faith in his prayer? Trust? How about authority? Did he take any dominion? Was there any praise? Well, looking at our list again, if God knows everything we need, why would he want us to pray? Well, like I said yesterday, he wants to hear our thoughts about him. He wants to hear our faith in him. He wants to hear our trust in him. He wants to hear our knowledge of his word. He wants to hear the authority we have in Christ. He also wants us to speak his word. He wants us to speak our faith. He wants us to speak our trust. He wants us to speak our love for him. He wants us to take dominion on the earth. He wants us to direct angels to perform his word. He wants us to resist the devil with his word. He wants us to be responsible with what we're responsible for. Why? Because prayer is an authority and a responsibility. But what about church prayer? What about the family who prays together? Praying together, praying at home and in the church, corporately, how do we do that? Has this become a lost art? Has it just been delegated to the few tried and true intercessors? I believe what we need to do is to develop a lifestyle of praying together. What could we do at the breaking of bread, the dinner table, to increase our prayers? Well, if we pray too long when we pray over our food, it will get cold. So this particular prayer needs to be a somewhat brief prayer of blessing and thanksgiving. What if, at the end of the meal, we took five to ten minutes to pray for one another and for some known specific needs of others? That's not a bad idea. Why get up and run at the end of every meal? If we prayed at the end of every meal, we would increase our ability in corporate prayer, and I'm sure our results would increase too. In a short amount of time, it would become very comfortable and proficient, not to mention how it would mentor and train our children in prayer. This can be done at home and at church during any meal. But remember, our prayers need to be prayers of faith, trust, thanksgiving, and according to his word. By the way, Exodus 23:25 is a great scripture to base our prayer on as we pray over our food. Exodus 23:25 says, "So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you." Daily family worship is probably the best way to increase prayer at home. And with this simple guideline, family worship, including prayer, is easy as 1 through 6. Remember? 1. Open your Bible. 2. Read it to your family. 3. Discuss it for how it should change your thinking and living. 4. Pray for one another, the saints and the lost. There it is right there. 5. Do it at the beginning and the end of the day. 6. Now you're trained. Go do it. It doesn't take long. 
5, 10, 15 minutes. What a great time to gather your family and have worship. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen through 19. Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. What are some ways we can increase corporate prayer at church? Well, corporate prayer with a lot of participants changes the dynamics of what we can do. Let's take a scenario of 100 people. One great way to pray corporately is to pray in tongues as a group and pray that we may interpret, according to 1 Corinthians fourteen thirteen, as we allow the Holy Spirit to pray for the saints according to the Word of God, which is right out of Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. Listen to 1 Corinthians fourteen thirteen. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. And Romans eight twenty six and 27, speaking about praying in tongues, what a great passage this is. Likewise, the Spirit, capital S, also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. With this type of approach, the praying is actually allowing the Holy Spirit to direct the prayer time, rather than having a pre-written or organized list and theme. Many feel it's incorrect for a church to pray together in tongues. However, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 39-40, through 40, and then analyze the last verse, this is what it says. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. And verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. Let all things be done. What things is he talking about? He's talking about all the things he just previously mentioned in chapter 14. Notice he states not to forbid speaking with tongues and pray that we may interpret. I know I'm on controversial grounds. However, I believe this is the best way for corporate church prayer to be effective. For more information on a deep verse-by-verse study on 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I would suggest my book titled, Is It Okay to Pray in Tongues in Church? It's available at most online bookstores. You see, doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread in prayers. It's all corporate and can be easily accomplished in our family worship and in our church worship. A family who prays together, Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in what? Well, in the apostles' doctrine and then fellowship. And we know the definition of fellowship is in the breaking of bread and in prayers. If we're going to be the New Testament family, and if we're going to be the New Testament church, we need to follow these principles. Let's continue steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine. Let's fellowship in the breaking of bread, eating together, and in prayers. Eating together, both the communion meal and the agape meal. And while we're doing that, let's be praying. Let me review the five essentials to the Family Bible Revolution. First, it's family worship, which is the focus of God's Word being presented and discussed in the household on a regular basis. Second, it's authority, which establishes the responsibility and brings respect and honor. And appointed and anointed, which speaks of the calling, gifting, and the God-given ability to fulfill that call. 
And then generational, which speaks of the strength and energy of the young and the wisdom and fortitude of the old together. And finally, church worship, which speaks of the importance of the Sabbath and our gathering unto him in the beauty of holiness. I love these five principles. It's the living organism of the family and the church. It's the body of Christ in action, taking dominion as God has directed in Genesis chapter 1. So, we've been talking about a family who eats together and a family who prays together. And tomorrow we're going to start on a family who fears together. Because the family who does all these three things will stay together. Just think, Abraham commanded his children and his household in the ways of the Lord. And he became the greatest evangelist who has ever lived. All the families and all the nations are blessed in him. We're out of time again, so I look forward to being with you in my next netcast. Mark your calendar again. Set your clock and tune in as we continue in establishing the Family Bible Revolution, an end-time message for his generational blessing. I call you blessed. You have been listening to the Choose You Netcast with Jim Langlois. If you have enjoyed this program, you can find out more about Jim Langlois Ministries on the Master's House website at tmhnow.org. That's tmhnow.org. On the media tab, you can listen to many more messages, subscribe to my daily devotional emails, and follow the link to my blog site. If you'd like to write me or become a financial partner with this ministry, my address is the Master's House, Post Office Box 1568, Mechanicsville, Virginia, 23116. That's the Master's House, Post Office Box 1568, Mechanicsville, Virginia, 23116. Online donations can also be made at tmhnow.org, and my email address is pastorjim at tmhnow.org. This is Jim Langlois saying be blessed, you and your whole household. Until next time. Choose you this day, but that's for me and my house, me and my house, me and my house.